If you have your Bible, we are continuing and closing our series on the book of Philemon. Philemon is found in the New Testament at the end of Paul's epistles and right before the book of Hebrews. Would you please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at verses 17 uh, through the end of the book. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you, of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the living and active word of God, of the living and true God. Please receive it as such and be seated. For a lot of us here... Uh, the Reformed Youth Conference, RYC, our Presbyteries camp, uh, is still on our minds, fresh on our minds, felt in our spirits and fighting our bodies even still. This just took place two weeks ago, and there's a lot of things that happen at RYC uh, which make it a special experience and time. Principally, the best part of RYC is having the children of our presbytery, the youth of our presbytery, come together with their friends and sit under the preaching of the word by a minister of the gospel, and also getting to sit under wonderful and pertinent teaching of seminar speakers. It's a wonderful part of RYC. But another aspect of it is the sports and games which we play, mostly in friendly competition and against one another. For this competition, we divide each camper and a counselor into a specific team, which is denoted by a name and has a bracelet and a color that goes with it. I'm not wearing mine today, but to identify each person then, this bracelet we give to them, and you're supposed to wear it for the games. For example, I was on the team uh, Skeeters, which had a red bracelet. Uh, To my teammates, this identified me as a friend and somebody that you could trust and rely on. And to other people, uh, we were lovingly known as the Cheater Skeeters because we started off pretty good, but then we got teamed up on and lost in the end. Not better. Anyway, all of this is meant in fun jest, uh, with bracelets being a way to identify who you belong with and as something that can give you a memory and you can keep it as a token. But RYC is not the first time that Christians have worn bracelets to identify uh, with a movement or something. Um, I'm a child of the 90s, and I can remember a popular trend which 
developed and began in the 90s, and it actually developed from a youth group in Michigan, a reformed youth group. And there were these bracelets that people would wear, which had an acronym on it. It was WWJD, which meant, what would Jesus do? Yes, good. In its best form, people would wear these bracelets in acknowledging God's grace to them and wanting to live out a life of gratitude uh, to Christ, emphasizing that the wearers sought to imitate Christ in a good way. But what happened with a good movement like this, it could tend to a bad uh, ends. This got criticized by some, particularly Reformed people, because it, it emphasized a lot of our own works and our own righteousness to the detriment of thinking about what Christ has done. So you commonly say, we, what did Jesus do, rather than what would Jesus do, because he principally came to save us. Even as we confess in our Nicene Creed, for us men and for our salvation, he came. All of this, though, it highlights a balance which we need to have in the Christian life. Yes, in gratitude to God's grace, we do need to seek to live and love like Christ, asking ourselves, what would he do in a certain situation? But fundamentally, we need to understand that he has already done for us all that we need, and that we live out a life of gratitude to the grace which he has already given to us. I talk about all of this now because Paul's letter to Philemon has much to say both to the grace of God and also to the gratitude which we owe to God in Christ, which is lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, is arguably the biggest fan of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But Martin Luther actually talked a lot about imitating Christ as well. He would often refer to Christians as little Christ and being Christ to our neighbor out of gratitude to God's grace. And Luther didn't get this teaching uh, from himself. He got it learning at the feet of the Apostle Paul. Yes, Luther is famous for his Galatians and Romans commentary, which are wonderful, but he also has wonderful lectures on the book of Philemon, and he draws out this very point in it, that in gratitude to God's grace, we are to live as Christ to our neighbor by his power, by his strength. We seek to extend his grace to others by speaking his word to them and by living out a life in imitation to Christ and by the power of Christ. Through the example of Luther and under the feet of Paul, today we will learn that same lesson of grace and gratitude today, looking at Philemon verses 17 through 25. What we'll see today is that because God's grace is given to us in Christ with all his benefits, we must respond by gratitude, by giving of ourselves and our means to serve others, but specifically our brothers and sisters in Christ. Very simply put, grace must be received with gratitude. The gift of Christ enables us to give of ourselves in service to Christ and his gospel. To that end, we're going to consider two simple points. First, we'll look at a consideration of fellowship, verses 17 through 20, and second, a confidence of faithfulness, verses 21 through 25. A consideration of fellowship 
and a confidence of faithfulness. In the first section of this little letter, as we've been talking about over these past two weeks, Paul addresses himself to Philemon and praises him for refreshing the hearts of the saints. And he prays for him that the sharing of his faith would become effective for every good thing which is in us for the sake of of Christ. That's the first seven verses. He's talking to this man, Philemon, who we'll learn is a slave owner, but also a prominent church leader. On the basis of this praise and prayer, in verses six through or eight through sixteen, Paul begins to talk about a specific good thing or deed which Philemon is required to do. But to do it out of love and not out of compulsion. And that deed that is his good to do in Christ, as we learn, is to receive back his runaway slave, Onesimus, and to receive him not as a slave, but as a beloved brother forever. When we looked at verse 6, which states, I pray that the sharing of your faith would become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ, Uh, we noted that the word translated as sharing is kinonia. It it means fellowship. It's really important in Paul's letters because it speaks about the union we have with Christ, that those who have faith in Christ share in Christ and are participants, co-participants of his grace in our lives. I, I point out that Paul used this word earlier because in verse 17 he says, so if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. Uh, this word that's translated as partner is connected with the kinonia. This is kinonos, a, a sharer, a fellow participant. Paul is using this language and he's calling on Philemon to recognize him as a Christian brother, yes, but even as leaders in the church and their mutual mission on behalf of Christ. And he's saying that if you consider me a mutual sharer in Christ, if you consider me a partner in the gospel of grace, receive Onesimus back as you would receive myself. The language of Paul here, it's striking, isn't it? It in fact recalls the words of Christ in talking to his disciples, saying that he who receives you receives me and him who sent me. Matthew 10, 40. And when talking about the final judgment, he said that, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. In the context of talking about the least of these, my brothers, he's talking about those prisoners to whom you gave water, to the naked to whom you clothed, to a slave who has run away and has now become a brother in Christ. Paul is reflecting on this kind of teaching and he's putting it into action even in this letter. Jesus Christ identifies himself with his people and even the least and lowliest of them. Paul, as an apostle of Christ, identifies himself with Onesimus, a runaway slave, and he tells Philemon that he needs to receive Onesimus not as a runaway slave, but as the apostle Paul himself, and by extension, as the Lord Jesus himself. He needs to view him as a believer, as someone who is united in Christ. 
This text speaks to the beauty of union with Christ and the fellowship which the gospel brings to believers. But in his understanding of the gospel and in his imitation of Christ, Paul takes it a step further. He says in verse 18, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Here Paul seems to be referring to what may have been actual costs or just perceived costs uh, from Philemon. Remember, if he's a runaway slave, sometimes you would take property to help your travel. Or he may just be referring to the fact that you owe labor to me and you've been gone not doing it. This may have been the cost. Whatever is the case, Paul is saying, whatever the cost or damage... Place it on my account. This is an incredible verse. It it reminds us instantly of the passage in the companion letter, which Paul is also sending uh, to the church there, Colossians. uh, Chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 states, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In light of what Christ has done for Paul and for all believers, taking our debts and paying for them on the cross, here Paul imitates Christ and tells Philemon to place the debt of Onesimus, his runaway slave, on Paul's account. The debt of a runaway slave is death. Paul is calling on him to put it on his account. In this way, he's acting, as Luther said, as a little Christ to his neighbor and brother Onesimus. Recognizing the grace of God, which Paul has received, through the power of Christ, he seeks to extend that same grace to Onesimus. And in so doing, he calls on Philemon to recognize This situation, this rough, messy situation in light of the gospel of grace and to respond in accordance. To double down on his promise, Paul states in verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. In emphasizing that he, Paul, writes this with his own hand, he's essentially giving Philemon, a promissory note that he can take to the proverbial bank. He guarantees that he will cover any financial cost which Onesimus has incurred against Philemon. But, at the same time, he also reminds Philemon of the spiritual debt which he owes to Paul, stating, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. In stating this, it seems that Paul is indicating that Philemon himself, like Onesimus, owes Paul a spiritual debt because he preached the gospel to him, and this gospel converted their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. They are both, on the same term, spiritual children of the Apostle Paul, having come to faith in Christ through his ministry. So he's saying that he owes him even his own self, all of his new spiritual life which he has in Christ. Of course, Paul is speaking as an apostle, a minister who 
is just a servant of the Lord, and the Lord works through him. Ultimately, the debt is owed to God. Uh, New Testament scholar John Barclay explains this verse really well, and I think it's worth quoting at length. He says, Enough is said here to indicate that Paul's role in Philemon's conversion, interpreted as resulting in a debt to Paul, not to God, should be taken fully into account, making quite insignificant whatever Onesimus or Paul now owes. Thus, Philemon is turned from creditor to debtor in the space of two verses and loaded with a debt so large, your very self, that he is under limitless obligation to Paul. As I just mentioned, understand that Paul is an ambassador speaking on behalf of God. Ultimately, the debt which Philemon owes for his new spiritual life is to God. But the way that he expresses that gratitude is in service to God's people. Paul, as an apostle and agent of Christ, rightly calls on Philemon to respond in gratitude to God's grace. So in verse 20, he boldly states, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Reflect on that language. When was the last time you talked to your brother and sister in Christ and said, I want to benefit from you. I want to benefit from you. What's the ad? In the Lord. Recognizing that we are joined to the same spiritual head, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we owe a a debt of gratitude to God way beyond anything we could ever pay. Well then, can we call on our brothers and sisters in Christ that I want some benefit from you. This emphasizes Paul's point. The benefit or favor which he is asking for as an apostle and agent of Christ is a benefit or favor in the Lord. Something which comes through their mutual identity and participation in Christ, their Lord. The second half of this verse is that some of my most favorite words in the Bible, and I mentioned it in our first sermon. It's just beautiful. Anapostol, mutas blakna in Christo. Refresh my heart in Christ. The reason why this is so special to me is because it speaks so clearly to the grace of God and our union with Christ, and the mutual reciprocity which we owe to each other as we are united to Christ. Throughout this letter, Paul has talked about how Philemon has a track record of refreshing the hearts of the saints. But he's also has identified Onesimus as Paul's own heart. And now, in this instance, Paul says, Refresh my heart in Christ. Very clearly, he is calling on Philemon to receive his heart, to receive Onesimus, and to refresh him. In this context, Onesimus is Paul's heart. And Paul is calling on Philemon, in accordance with his track record of refreshing the hearts of the saints, to refresh also his heart by receiving Onesimus back as Paul himself but even more as Christ who identifies even with the least of these, his brothers. With this verse and with this request, Paul's letter to Philemon comes to its rhetorical crescendo. Within this small letter, Paul has identified Philemon as a godly saint 
who has a clear record of loving the saints of the Lord, but of whom he is making a request for some benefit in the Lord. The request of Paul is for Philemon to recognize the grace of God in Christ to him and to respond to this grace by receiving Onesimus, a fellow participant in the grace of God, back not as a slave, but as a beloved brother in the Lord, precious to Christ and useful for the gospel ministry. From an earthly perspective, we need to understand that this request was significant and costly. But more than this, we need to understand that this request is in accordance with the gospel of grace and is a proper response of gratitude to God for his grace to us. Which brings us to our second point. We have just considered the fellowship which we have in Christ. Now let us look at the confidence, Paul's confidence of faithfulness. Paul has spoken his main request. Now he brings his argument and letter to a close. So he states in verse 21, Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Here Paul expresses his confidence in Philemon's obedience, saying that he will, prob- that he will trust that he will do even more than he says. Uh, Philemon's obedience to this request to receive Onesimus as his brother in Christ. Paul believes that Philemon will do this and states that he's confident that he'll do even more. Maybe this refers to his releasing him as a slave. I don't think that's as likely as referring to sending Onesimus back to serve Paul in the gospel ministry. That was a goal that he talked about earlier, that he would have been glad to keep him because he was serving on behalf of Philemon, on behalf of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul adds some pressure, though, stating in verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. This is a sincere request, but think about the situation. Paul is calling on him to deal with this situation with the slave, and he says, oh, by the way, make a room ready for me. I'm going to be coming and visiting By implication, I'll see how you handled this situation. It puts some pressure on Philemon to respond well uh, in this situation. But not only that, that his prayers, he is confident through Philemon's prayers and the prayers of all the saints there, that Paul will be released from prison and be able to make this trip and come to him. Again, he doubles down, adding a a greeting from his co-workers, saying in verses 23 through 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. You recall at the beginning of the letter, he names several people in the church that he is writing to that are companions with Philemon, calling them to witness of this letter. Here at the end of this letter, he's now telling him that Here's a greeting from my fellow workers who are here who are also witnesses of this letter and what he is asking of them. In Colossians 4, Paul mentions these fellow workers on behalf of the gospel, emphasizing that Epaphras has struggled on their behalf, indicating that he is actually the minister in that congregation, but he is now a prisoner with Paul. 
Finally, Paul closes in verse 25, praying, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. At the beginning of this letter, Paul prayed for grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to Philemon and those in his house church. Throughout this letter, Paul has called on Philemon to recognize and express the grace and peace which is his in Christ through his relationship with Onesimus, his slave. Now at the end of this letter, Paul expresses his prayer for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with Philemon and all those who are with him. From the beginning, throughout, in the middle, and at the end, Paul umbrellas this entire letter in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God which is given to us through Christ. With this well-wishing, Paul's small letter to Philemon comes to a close. Throughout this letter, Paul has made a big ask of Philemon as a master of a runaway slave whom Paul is returning to him to be received, not as a runaway, but as a brother in the Lord. While this letter speaks expressly to Philemon, it also speaks to the church in his house and to the church of all ages. The church to whom Paul is writing were to hold Philemon accountable for how he receives Onesimus back. Likewise, this letter speaks to us, reminding us of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, and pressing home our need to respond to God's grace in gratitude. By the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, and according to his grace, Paul has sought to imitate his Lord and to extend God's grace in Christ to Onesimus. So he presents Onesimus as his child, as his very heart, who is to be received as Paul himself, who is to be received as one of the least of these of Christ's brethren. This concrete situation between a master and slave, with all its messiness, puts on full display the grace of the gospel and what it requires. From an earthly perspective, Philemon and Onesimus are miles apart. But through their mutual faith in Christ, they are forever bound as brothers in Christ. This relationship must come to expression in their present life, even by faith. And the same thing comes to us. All of us who have experienced the gospel of God's grace, we must respond in gratitude to God's grace and receive those whom he has received, regardless of who they are and what they have done in themselves. If you have never known the Lord Jesus Christ, know that this is his grace. Jesus Christ took on our debts, saying, put it to my account. Jesus Christ became a servant so that we might become sons. He gave himself so that we might be forgiven. Receive him by faith and be assured that his grace is sufficient for you. And in response to this grace, live out a life of gratitude and service to God and his saints. Those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are participants in Christ and all of his benefits, I want a benefit from you in the Lord. Receive one another as Christ has received you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your glorious grace. 
We thank you for the love which you have for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you have received us and welcomed us. May we be those who respond to your grace with gratitude. May we receive even the least of these, your brethren. May we not think ourselves too good to do even the most menial task, giving water to a prisoner, of clothing the naked. Lord, please help us, because we can only do this by your strength, and it's only out of the new life which you give us, even through the work of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would work about that kinonia among us, that fellowship which comes through union with Christ. May we serve one another to the glory of you, our God and Father. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave us this sacrament to perpetually put before our eyes that great thing that he took our debts. He said, put it to my account. This proclaims what he has done for us. But it also shows us that fellowship which we have as, as we identify, as we search ourselves, see, are we in the Lord? We also see that they are in the Lord with us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are partakers of the grace of Christ and that we are united even to Christ in the body and blood which is betrayed in this meal. As such, it is a meal for those who are in the fellowship of Christ, those who are partakers of Christ, those who are repenting of their sins and are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who has paid for their debts. It's for those who are living out a life of gratitude through repentance and faith and seeking to serve the Lord. But it's for sinners. It's for those who had a record of debt which has now been canceled, having been nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer, you are not a participant in Christ, you have not professed your faith, been baptized, or not a member in a Bible-believing church, I would just ask that you would let these elements pass. But don't let Christ pass. Understand that these proclaim what he did for sinners. And I pray that you would receive him by faith, even as this meal is taking place. Uh, Let us go to the Lord and pray that he would bless these elements to our spiritual use. Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Church, our Savior who became a servant, who took our record of debt, we thank you for this meal. We thank you that you place it before us each week to remind us all that you have done and all that we have in you. I pray now that you would bless these ordinary elements of bread and wine to our spiritual use. By your Holy Spirit, work in us that fellowship of faith and that belief that even now we ascend up to heaven where you, our Christ, our life is. We pray that you would bless this meal to our nourishment. It's in your name we pray. Amen.